What's up, Open Four Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina. Michael, walk with me here today as I give you a little tour of the NBA's Orlando bubble, or at least what I can see now that I've been let out of my seven-day in-room quarantine. How does that sound to get us off? I'm going to give you a step-by-step tour of all the cool things you can see down here, Michael. You've got a pep in your step that I really... I'm enjoying this, Ben. I am, and I'm happy for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited, to be honest. The seven-day uh, quarantine period um, really felt like seven weeks, to be honest. It was starting to drag. The last day, I think I walked nine miles in my hotel room because it was like the one day I had without any like media obligations or podcasts or anything. And I was just like, I, you know, how many movies can I watch? You know, I, I just getting bored and, and sick of the same four walls. They let me out. It was uh, a brilliant moment Sunday afternoon. My eyes were taking like five hours to adjust to sunlight. I was just walking around squinting like a moron. Um, It was very bright, more than 90 degrees, but certainly nice to be out uh, here at Disney World. So here's what it looks like, Michael. I want you to picture... Um, The media environment, it's basically a quadrant. It's a little bit like a trapezoid, but, you know, just imagine a rectangle. The length (laughs) of the rectangle is about 0.2 miles, all right? So not even Mm -hmm. a quarter of a mile, not even a full lap around that high school track where you used to dominate as an amateur athlete, Michael, all right? Um, On one end, security (laughs) guard station where he's checking passes and not letting people continue up a, a pathway, Uh, that goes around this central lake. On the other end is sort of the main checkpoint where they have a a greater security presence. It's right by a little market where um, media members can go and pick up their food. And it's heading towards where the player's hotel is. And of course, they're not letting us through the player's hotel, Michael. There are uh, security guards at both of these checkpoints. They're wearing blue shirts. I was looking for weapons. All I really saw was a bottle of water and a walkie-talkie, so I think that's a little bit uh, comforting. I I don't think there will be physical altercations on this one, but there is a presence. Uh, I do want to be clear about that, and you can't just walk by them. If you don't have the right credential, they will stop you. The right credentials, by the way, are green. Um, The media's credentials are green with red stripes. The red stripes are the indicator. Stop these guys. We don't trust them. They must remain (laughs) in their little area. Um, the security guards are very friendly, very nice, uh, but also firm, you know, making sure that we understand where we're supposed to be. Now, the other two sides of this rectangle that I'm describing, one is the lake. So, and there are signs by the lake that says, don't feed the alligators. So if you're thinking about jumping in the lake to swim over to the player's hotel, Michael, that would be putting your, your life at risk. Okay. And Certainly, I've not considered that yet, but it is only day two. Um, The other side of the boundary would be an empty parking lot. Not much to say over there, although it is very nice if you want to go for solo walks back and forth without having to kind of dodge people on the little walking path. You can go back to the parking lot and get your steps in back there. Within this quadrant, Michael, there is a communal pool, which is actually a very nice pool. I didn't get in, but I sat beside it. It's very nice. There is a little outdoor activities area where they've got uh, like a Jenga, you know, a giant Jenga set up and cornhole and a pickleball court. Um, there's a few nice Spanish style fountains. There's five total buildings, which are sort of like dormitories. Um, one of them uh, is where all the writers are staying. I'm calling that the type house, sort of like the hype house from TikTok. No one else is calling it that yet, but I'm going to do my best to make sure that sticks. Um, and then otherwise, within the uh, you know, those confines, uh, there's a little laundry area and there's an indoor fitness gym. 
That's basically it, Michael. That's where I'm going to be living for the next three months unless they change these rules about where we can go and where we can't go. That's all I've got. What do you think? So my first question slash observation is if you think you double planking on two beds went viral and was very powerful... Can you imagine the numbers you would do evading an alligator? Oh, this sounds like with a the back challenge. Oh. Yeah, I, I mean, that that content would just be through the roof. I think you should explore it seriously. This is not good advice, Michael. This is putting me seriously, <laughs> seriously in jeopardy. I, are you afraid of alligators? Um, this is a, a very strange memory, but when I was actually down in New Orleans back in January, I might have mentioned this on the show. I was trying to go on a swamp tour on the day that Kobe Bryant died, but the rain canceled it. And so I wound up uh, not being able to be on that swamp tour. I would have been out on a boat photographing uh, crocodiles in the middle of the bayou um, had the weather been a little bit better on that day when, when that tragic news came down. So I'll never forget what a strange day. Uh, that's the closest encounter I've ever really had with an alligator other than seeing a super duper fat one in Texas one time when I was taking photos of birds. I mean, this thing... <laughs> was oh my god it was like the oliver miller of uh of uh crocodiles i mean probably top speed 1.6 miles per hour but are, have you had any encounters or are you a crocodile guy that i don't know about uh no i'm not um fried alligator is delicious i will say that uh but no i'm not there's no fear in me even though they kind of just look like dinosaurs which is a little terrifying when you think about it too deeply uh and they will like rip your whole body to shreds if you were to come in contact with them. So from afar, I have no issues with crocodiles or alligators. Yeah, all jokes aside, I think an alligator actually killed a small child here at Disney World a few years ago. And I think they actually started taking some of the crocodiles out of the various lakes around the property because of that um, as an obvious safety precaution. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the little the, the dinosaur analogy. There are these little baby geckos running around, which feel almost <laughs> like you know Disney dinosaur characters. Um, some very beautiful birds on property. I saw a massive butterfly that I was trying to chase for like 15 minutes yesterday. Couldn't get him to chill out. Um, in, in, I saw some uh, big bullfrogs, or at least frogs. I'm not sure if they're uh, bullfrogs. Uh, walking around when I was uh, getting some exercise last night. So there's, you know, some different flora and fauna to kind of keep me interested. I want people to picture, you know, kind of a warm weather college campus vibe here. You know, it, there's palm trees, uh, lots of, uh, you know, somewhat tacky exterior design, I would say, on the buildings. You know, I'm not some big expert on that subject, but, uh, you know, all things considered, it's a comfortable place. I do just want to underscore, though, it's smaller the area that i thought we were going to be able to um you know access I, you know i thought it was going to be you know more access towards like the players area or where they're renting bicycles and all these other different things they've got going on around the lake and that's just not possible michael they've got us penned in to this little area that's like i said about 0.2 miles long there are walmarts bigger than our campus i would say that in, in terms of the media area of the campus so we're out of the hotel rooms. That's the good news. The bad news is that our confinement has just expanded slightly. Did you expect like opportunity to go fishing or golfing? Was that even on the, the, the possibility, possibility list for you? Well, when you read that health and safety protocol document, you know, it was part of a sales job towards the players to like get them to want to come down. You remember, right? So they were talking yeah. about all the nice walking trails and all the, you know, the, the pedicurists and the barbers and, you know, we're going to have all these other things on site. 
And so I figured like, you know, you could just cut off a little bit for the the media, right? Like maybe, you know, Monday morning at 6 a.m. when nobody else wants to use this stuff, like the media could come through. And right now we're still waiting for direction on if we can get haircuts, right? If we can basically do anything. As far as I know, we can't rent the bikes. Um, You know, the golf, they've been very evasive on all golf questions because a number of writers came down here hoping to play. Um, and they have been, yeah, we'll, we'll think about that in a little bit. They keep pushing it into the distance. Uh, so that one's a little bit up in the air. Uh, so I guess I at least thought I would be able to walk around this entire lake because it's just a walking trail. Everybody's staying socially distant. And I should say, Michael, uh, just about everyone is wearing masks. Not everyone, not all the time, but a very, very high percentage, including some players. And I, you know, I wrote in my Washington Post newsletter about the layout And as I described it, it feels a little bit like being the kid in the candy store, but everything's under lock and key, right? So you see Rob Palenka walk by, you see Brad Stevens walk by, you know, Miles Simon was was sitting on a bench, you know, having a phone conversation. Um, You're you're seeing some, uh, you know, team assistant coaches just sipping on some beers in the afternoon after a game of pickleball. You know, like you're, you're kind of in the middle of it, but then there's also pretty strict rules about fraternizing. In other words, we're not supposed to be talking directly to any NBA personnel. They know that, so they can kind of feel free to blow us off with a polite you know, head nod at any moment. Um, and then, <laughs> That sucks. And then they also realize that they can just retreat to their hotel and not have to worry, us, worry about us whatsoever, right? So um, there is definitely a class system developing, and surprise, surprise, um, you know, it, this thing is built around the players, uh, not built around the media. I'm not laying all this out to complain. I just do think it's important to set expectations for the general public in terms of what kind of access and coverage that they can expect. Um, and also, you know, it's just kind of uh, self-deprecating too. It's just like, again, we're, we're here sort of experiencing this thing, but not completely. So another, I just have a quick question for you from that article that you wrote for the Washington Post about kind of the layout and what the experience has been. Uh, in it, you mentioned that Adam Silver wrote personal letters to each media member, and I was just curious kind of how yours looked. Like, was it, Dear Ben, democracy may die in the darkness, but it lives in the bubble? Was that how he kicked it off? No, he said, Dear Ben, the new Pod Read segment on Open Floor is one of the highlights of my mornings. <laughs> Michael's book recommendations are just amazing. Um, no, they, he just tweaked it slightly. It was just, he didn't just copy and paste the same form email, is sort of what I was getting at. Um, I will say I replied to him, you know, in, in typical fashion, Michael, I started promoting my work. I sent him a link to one of my stories and was like, hey, <laughs> check it out, Commissioner. I was like, eh, whatever, <laughs> shoot your shot, got nothing to lose. He replied back quickly. He was ready to like debate a point that I had raised in the story. It was like actually pretty nice. So I, I do think that there is two things going on here. One, there are very strict protocols trying to be in place to keep the players in a bubble away from everybody else who's not a player, including media members, right? Like if there's going to be an outbreak, they basically they want it to be, it has to be kind of a player on player situation. They don't want anyone else who's here in the bubble being the cause of it. So they've, they've really taken a lot of measures to protect players from everybody else. That's number one. Number two, I do think that the NBA and its public relations staff realize that they're taking away our locker room access. They're drastically limiting how much post-game availability we have. We can't talk to necessarily every player. 
because it's going to be a, a, a press conference setup. So there's only going to be a few players per team talking. Um, you know, they have to, you know, a lot of the media members around the country are stuck with these Zoom calls, which are less than ideal. Um, mm-hmm. So they realize that this is not great from the media's perspective. And frankly, like, you know, I'm sure they were probably worried, like, is there going to be an uprising? Like, is there going to be a whole bunch of complaints from riders saying like, hey, we can barely even do our jobs here. This isn't fair. So I, I do think that there's a little bit of, uh, you know, the, the carrot and the stick approach where it's like, look, we have to be strict on these rules, but we're going to also try to be nice to you and, and have a friendly touch. Um, you know, they, they hosted a little happy hour here for the writers last night where they had, you know, a bunch of food brought in. Um, like I said, Adam Silver did write that, uh, you know, really, really warm welcome message to the media member. So they're, they're trying to massage this thing, but I do think that they realize it's an issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing just seems very tantalizing from the media and the writer's perspective, but I'm sure maybe, you know, as things go along, maybe they'll loosen some of the restrictions and maybe you can uh, get some golf content because that's what I'm really looking forward to. I want to see your swing. I want to see the stroke. I want to see your up and down game. I want to see it all, Ben. Michael, I think I'd rather be chased by an alligator than uh, than have my (laughs) golf game placed on social media because... I think I, who was that golfer who was just like completely missing the ball this weekend? I was watching some clips of him and he just took like six swings to get one hit uh, and it went like 15 yards. Not sure who that was, but that is me on the golf course. And there would be broken clubs. There would be a lot of profanities. You know, Michael, I try to keep this show clean. It would be very difficult to keep the show clean uh, if we were doing a golf segment, at least with me on the links. So I do think that's pretty much what we've got, you know, from a layout standpoint down here. Um, uh, you know, the, one of the very first people I saw, incidentally, coming out of the quarantine was Donovan Mitchell, Utah Jazz guard. Uh, like I mentioned, there's this little security checkpoint that's sort of in between the players' hotel and the media's hotel. And you know, there's guards in blue and there's signs. There's these little plastic barricades. And, you know, it, it kind of felt like a, a DMZ, you know, like a demilitarized zone where Mitchell's kind of on one side being like, hey, guys, welcome to the bubble. And like the reporters on the other side, like, hey, man, it's good to kind of see you, but we know we can't really talk to you. So there's this little awkward interaction there. Uh, but I thought it was just, you know, a very nice gesture from him. And a few other players um, were also kind of like waving, you know, over the invisible wall, um, you know, between us. So there are definitely interactions happening. Um, I saw an NBA referee really just killing it at the pool, Michael. I mean, flexing, like doing his thing. <laughs> so you're seeing a few things kind of here and there that, um, you know, you, you wouldn't you, ever expe- you, expect in another circumstance. You don't want to call out uh, that referee by name? Michael, I've got to live with these people for three months, so I, I'm, I'm picking and choosing my uh, anecdotes and vignettes uh, very carefully. Um, I do want to highlight a few other writers who are here who have been doing great work. Um, Chris Haynes put out a story kind of laying out some of these uh, issues that we're dealing with. He got here a little bit early as part of Turner. Um, he's my longtime friend from Portland. Um and so if people want to check out what he's doing on Yahoo Sports, I would certainly recommend that. Mark Stein of the New York Times has been weighing in on, on a lot of different issues so far as well. Um, Joe Varden at The Athletic has been doing, you know, diaries and video diaries. Um, you've got Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times. You've got Kyle Goon from the Orange County Register. Uh, Mark Medina from USA Today. Um, you know, Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press, I could go on. But you know, if, if you haven't sort of gotten your headcount on the NBA media yet in terms of who to follow for bubble content, I think that will give you a, a pretty good start. And of course, ESPN has a, you know, an army down here 
um, you know, starting with General Rachel Nichols, of course, uh, Malika Andrews, uh, and a few others. So there's, um, you know, plenty of stuff coming out of here, but just everybody keep in mind, it's all coming out of this little quadrant, you know, this little portion of the overall property. Um, and I should have also mentioned too, Michael, I have no idea where the other two player hotels are because, you know, there's three player hotels. I can see the Grand Destino Tower. I can't go there, but the other two are completely out of bounds for us. So, you know, God knows what's happening at the Yacht Club. I will not be able to report uh, on anything. You know, if one of the Wizards players accidentally lights a yacht on fire, you will not have on-scene reporting from me, unfortunately. Well, this all sounds like a blast, Ben. I, I, I look forward to all your... Uh, yeah, your... This, this is what I need from you. I need an honest assessment after I just uh, <laughs> laid this out because you've been a little skeptical the whole way through and kind of wondering about things. When you read my newsletter that I sent to you and, and when you're hearing mm-hmm. me describe this, um, are you back onto the idea of like, dude, did you really need to do this? <laughs> like, was this really absolutely necessary? Do you have questions, Michael? I guess that's where I'm coming from. Are you I mean, di- are you doubting my life? No, am I doubting? No, I am not doubting your life for the record, Ben. It just it seems uh, like what I expected heading in after reading the guidelines and the restrictions that the NBA and the MBPA put out uh, weeks ago, and I guess like we're just still in the really early stages here, and I I think it is fascinating that they are so restrictive inside the bubble where it's basically like a bubble inside the bubble. Is that kind of accurate to describe it like that? I think that's the way to put it. I mean, it's not completely physically a bubble within a side of bubble because like they're able to come over to our area if they wanted to, but if they didn't want to, their only contact with the media, <laughs> which, none of, which none of them do, obviously. Right, right, right. A lot of play, yeah, a lot of people just don't want to have anything to do with the media, right? So their only contact with with the media would come if they were requested at practice or after a game, right? And so if you're the fourth best player on your team, there's a good chance that like you're basically never going to be requested, especially if you're not on a good team. Um, now, some teams just to like ease the burden on their superstars are rotating more guys in. You know, it's like the Lakers will. You know, do like Dwight Howard and Alex Caruso so that LeBron doesn't have to speak every single day, which is totally fair because how many things are you going to be able to say over the course of a week uh, when you're not traveling and you don't have games yet and all that. But for a vast majority of the players, like there's guys who are going to be down here for three months who may never get interviewed, right? It just might not happen. And they don't even have to worry about it. I was about to say, are you looking forward to after the Lakers' first loss, the the Jared Dudley press conference, and then that's basically it? Well, that's where I, that's where I'm going to draw the line. And I was hinting at this in my newsletter too, Michael. Like the stars need to be available here, all right. And I understand the Zion situation's got me a little bit on edge because he's gone already, and it's you know he hopefully he comes back, and hopefully everything is good with his family, but. Um, if this does wind up being just like a parade of Markeith Morris and Jared Dudley press conferences after game three of the Western Conference Finals, uh, we're going to have like a big, big problem. Like this is, it's going to be me bouncing off walls again, just like it was when I was stuck in the quarantine. So I do think that a lot of the success of their media plan down here hinges on the availability of the star players. Like those guys, you know, and it's tough because it always falls to them. Uh, but I do think that the burden on LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George and those guys to kind of work with the media and set storylines is, you know, it's heavy on their shoulders, but that's, you know, they're going to have to carry it. You know, otherwise, 
you know, it, it's going to be a very strange um, public presentation standpoint, you know, and I do think that to a certain degree, they need the media here because there isn't a crowd. The, um, the television product is going to be different than usual, and they do still need to kind of gin up excitement for everything that's going on, uh, you know, in terms of the restart. So I'm confident that the stars will step up and handle those responsibilities, but uh, I understand if they're trying to just save their, uh, you know, save their juice for when the games start. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's. I don't really have any other questions because nothing has really happened so far, and you've done such a great job detailing just the environment and the circumstances. Uh, but I guess it's just like a day-by-day situation, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I do think that some of these podcasts over the next couple of months are going to turn a little bit into like diary entries, Michael, just for... I'm giving people what's happening on the ground. I've heard from a lot of Open Floor Globe members by email and on social media saying they like the behind the scenes look. So guys, you can count on uh, a lot of that type of stuff here. And we have no idea where it's going to go. Uh, Today, we're taping on Monday. In about two hours, I'm going to go to my first practice. Uh, The Lakers will be practicing. The Bucks practice tonight. So we'll be able to see what does the practice gym look like. And then, you know, later this week, there's going to be scrimmages. So the, everything really is ramping up. The ball is in motion here. We just don't know where it's going, and it's all brand new to us. So hopefully uh, you guys will just kind of ride along as we go on this journey. Now, Michael, you said that you didn't have any questions, any more questions anyways. <laughs> but guess what? That's why we have listeners, because the Open Floor Globe emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com to send in a whole bunch of questions on a wide variety of subjects. And I do want to encourage you, if there's some aspect of the bubble you feel like I'm not discussing or I'm not explaining well enough, email it in. I'll be glad to kind of uh, you know take all those kinds of questions on the show. All right, Michael, we're going to start with a big one. And this one came in from Bruce. He says, who are the biggest potential snitches inside of the bubble and why and on who? And so he's referring to the NBA's informant line, which, by the way, I have access to, Michael. There's a a phone number and a a number to text if I see any violations around campus of the NBA's policy, whether it's about masks or visitors, people leaving the campus and trying to come back. um, All of that you're able to kind of forward to NBA security. And we've seen already a few players facing repercussions and and being sent back into quarantine for violations. Uh, Bruno Caboclo left his room during the initial quarantine period kind of an unexcusable oversight there and not sure what he was thinking. Um, and then also Rashawn Holmes tried to get Postmates and, and went the wrong direction, leaving the property <laughs> and found himself, you know, back in, uh, back in his hotel room for 10 days. So Bruce wants to know who are the leading candidates. Here's his list. He says, my absolute number one pick for this, and I don't even think it's debatable, is Chris Paul. Uh, he's already been a snitch, and Bruce says that's for the Jersey Gate where he you know, uh, reported the guy's untucked jersey. And he goes on to say, Chris Paul doesn't really care what other people think about him, and he's already made his money. So it's not like any GM could blackball him for his behavior uh, in the bubble. Uh, he also says, Chris Paul doesn't have a lot to gain or lose from a respect standpoint. You either think he's one of the greatest point guards of our generation who evolved into a mentor for Shea Gilgis-Alexander, or you think he's a jerk, injury-prone, choke artist, underachiever. There's no in-between. His legacy is sealed. So he goes on to nominate Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, uh, J.R. Smith, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, or Brandon Ingram, uh, LeBron James, and then also me in the NBA. And his reasoning really varies widely here, all right? <laughs> he thinks that Kyle Lowry is just a natural informant. You know, he Maybe he pranks Kawhi. 
or Demar, uh, and and that winds up uh, you know getting him on the list. He says for J.R. Smith, couldn't he accidentally story Anthony Davis getting a burger from outside the bubble on Instagram? Don't you think LeBron is secretly telling him to accidentally aim his phone towards the Clippers? For those former baby Lakers like Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart, you know, they all played together with uh, D'Angelo Russell, so maybe uh, you know D'Angelo rubbed off on them. <laughs> For LeBron, he says, you know, LeBron being in the bubble is a little bit like Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania in 2001. He will do anything to win the title, anything. I can't rule out Maverick Carter luring Giannis outside the bubble by saying that Costas calls and really need him. So he's thinking this is going to turn into like a real spy thriller with Clutch like trying to uh, sabotage the Milwaukee Bucks. I love where his mind is going, by the way, Michael. And then finally, he accuses me of being a future snitch by saying, if the Pelicans stumble to a 2-4 and four record through the first six games, is it possible that Adam Silver calls Ben into his office and sterns him into writing an expose about their last two opponents and their behavior in the bubble, a.k.a. he wants me to do whatever's possible to try to get uh, Zion Williamson and the Pelicans in the playoffs? Just for the record, Bruce, I resent that hypothetical. I would not do that under any circumstances, no matter how kind the emails have been from the commissioner's office. So leave me out of this. But, Michael, I need you to run down you know, some of your favorites um, for this, I, I think we should call it the informant line. This snitch thing is a little bit—I don't know. It makes me—it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, we're not gonna call them snitches anymore. We're gonna call them informants, or we're gonna call them, uh, you know, violation reporters. Uh, you know, traffic cops out here. Uh, do you have any nominations for who you think might actually use this line? And by the way, is it a good thing that this thing exists, or are are you pro uh, informant line or anti informant line? Before I get to my nominations, I did not know that you had access to this number. And so I I have one more question for you, Ben. I mean, have you ever felt more powerful in your career? Well, I was just confined to my hotel room for seven days. So power is not something really (laughs) in my vocabulary right now. I had to basically beg for my freedom. Um, So I would not say I necessarily feel powerful, although it's funny because in general, I would. I have never like called the cops for a noise complaint for my neighbors. I wasn't the guy who like went to the RA in college. I'm usually the person who puts on noise canceling headphones and just kind of tunes out whatever annoying things are. Maybe I'll stomp on a wall or pound on a wall if it's really annoying me. You know, when it comes to those kinds of petty violations. So mm-hmm. coming down here. I was like, you know, I'm I'm one of these. I'm like John Moran. I'm not one of these guys who's, you know, I'm I, I don't if I see it, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'm I'm uh I'm not going to be an informant. That's not how I'm built. Then you see some people walking around without masks, putting all of us at risk, Michael. And then you start reading about Dwight Howard, the anti-vaxer, and like some of these other things where he's doesn't have a mask and people are reporting him, and you just warm to the idea a little bit. You start thinking, huh, maybe I could just send one little text here. I'm not saying I'm going to do it, um, but I think that once you're in this bubble, you do really have this feeling of you know quite a bit of safety. If you look around the world, how many people have access to daily coronavirus tests and symptom monitoring? I mean, there's billionaires who don't have access to that level of healthcare right now. Um, so from that standpoint, you do feel incredibly privileged but it also does make you kind of hyper vigilant, and so you know I saw a couple of players without masks on yesterday. Um, I'm not going to name them, 
But it did kind of cross my mind like, okay, we've got security guards keeping the media in their little bullpen. Maybe the security guards should actually like know who these players are and they should be the ones maybe trying to enforce these rules. Maybe. I'm just saying, what are the priorities here? What's the bigger damage to the sport? The media strolling through the bike rack stand and and grabbing a bike and circling the, the lake or a player taking his mask off and getting his teammates sick? Just throwing that out there as an open question. Right. I I say this with a a hint of snark behind me, but like when I reference you having power, it kind of was connected to just like gambling. And, uh, you know, if you were to get someone in trouble who would impact a win or a loss for a particular team and then your mind goes to some dark places. (laughs) You want me to be the Donaghy of the bubble, Michael? Come on. I'm sure it's I I don't think that it's maybe slipped into your consciousness necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone was thinking it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, so here's the thing. If you report someone, I don't think that guarantees that they're reprimanded. Right. Um, There's obviously some sort of like internal protocol. And this is where the conspiracy theorists and, you know, the the tinfoil hat wingnuts like yourself are going to have a field day because like, yes, how many violations does LeBron need to, you know, how many people have to send in things about LeBron before there's actually something done versus Rashawn Holmes, you know? Like, that's a very easy person to sacrifice for the greater good. It's like Rashawn Holmes, oh God, that's really going to affect the playoffs. What are we doing? You know, like he's a classic candidate to be sent back into quarantine for 10 days because he's on a team that doesn't really matter. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, from the playoff standpoint, he's not a very famous player. Um, You know, would LeBron for the exact same violation have been thrown into his hotel room for 10 days? I would agree with you on that one. That wouldn't happen. Right. And there's also a 0.000% chance that LeBron has ever used Postmates. Um, so should I get yeah. to my nominations now? Or, well, the Lakers or, probably actually have like three people on their 35-man staff whose job it is to be LeBron's <laughs> Postmates staff. <right>? Exactly. <laughs> it helps to be the king, and it's always good to be the king. All right, Michael, let's hear your nominations for potential informants. Let's see where you take this thing. So LeBron is on my list as well, and I guess we'll just go to him because we were just discussing him, but... I mean, his leadership style has always been defined by passive aggressiveness, and this is just the this is just like elite passive aggressive behavior. To I mean, obviously, we it should be, go without saying that the whole point of this hotline is to keep everybody safe, and that's it's not to get a competitive advantage. But there is an ancillary effect of if he were to call and say, "Hey, Lou Williams isn't wearing a mask," or if he had someone make that call for him. Uh, 45 times a day uh, leading up to the Western Conference Finals and Lou Williams was suspended or had to quarantine or whatever and missed a game. I I, I would not put that 100,000% out of the question for someone like LeBron. This is where it gets tricky. If you're Dwight Howard, what percentage of your mind right now is worried that it was one of your teammates calling in the... uh calling in the notice right like did you just annoy people at practice and they were like you know what maybe we should just try to get Dwight out of here like is that crossing your mind in any way if you're in that situation this is honestly like I can see teammates ratting out other teammates just like because of a variety of reasons even more so than one team 
wanting to gain a competitive advantage over another. So basically what you're saying is if Waiters takes 20 shots in a game two loss, there's going to be like Postmates burger wrappers like strewn around his hotel room as fake evidence for the uh, for the NBA security people to find and and prosecute him. Exactly. You've got to plant uh, different. Uh, items that will get him in trouble and get him locked up for a little while. Well, uh, ho- it's hopefully, very, it- <laughs> it's, hopefully it's something like that Godfather scene where they got the, the politician in the hotel bathroom with the girl. Hopefully there's something like that, right? Yeah, I thought you were going to go to the horse head, but you went even even darker. Um, well, it was it really darker. Um, horse head's oh, pretty dark. Okay, you know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, another player who I had along these lines was Jimmy Butler, because oh. he's someone who, you know, he holds teammates. I don't think any player holds their teammates to a higher standard than Jimmy Butler does. And so I could see him warning a teammate to their face about, hey, if you see someone not wearing a mask, telling them to wear a mask. And then if they kept breaking a rule consistently... Uh, I just think he would do whatever it takes to preserve "quote unquote" heat culture. And to... question for you, right on that subject, because he's yeah. already been sort of notified that some of his late night workouts um, were bothering people and maybe you know not <laughs> not up to snuff. Did Legend. did he do that intentionally, and did he leak that so that everyone would would know all about heat culture? Right? There's nothing more heat culture than being scolded for working too hard in your hotel room. Right. I mean, it's sort of Rise like grind, baby. it's very similar to me posting like my nine mile workout video on the, you know, on Twitter just to let everybody know what I'm up to. Like, is is Jimmy Butler just trying to, you know, present a certain image to the masses here with his uh, with his uh, violation? Well, he's obviously trying to pre- promote himself and present himself in a particular light. Uh, I am very pro Jimmy Butler and I am all about it. So rise and grind is is the mantra and i'm a believer quarantine can't slow jimmy down um i like that (laughs) nomination as well who else you got well uh, yeah i guess chris paul we we should probably spend like a a couple minutes talking about cp he obviously uh you know he was trending when it first broke that some players were making calls on this hotline. Man, that's which rough is, too. Like, don't you feel bad for him a little bit? Like, I understand all the complaints about Chris Paul, and I think right. that in a lot of cases his reputation is maybe warranted. But did any player work harder to make sure this entire bubble existed than Chris Paul? Like, don't you feel like his summer really sucked? Just constant conference calls, negotiations, dealing with player concerns, being the voice of the union to the league. You know, having to take these very onerous rules the NBA is giving you about health and trying to sell them to a bunch of players. That is such a tough in-between job. I do feel like there should be some like new award given like to Chris Paul just for like dealing with everything. I don't know exactly what it would be called. Um, but to have him all that work come out and everyone's just like, oh yeah, he's got a snitch hotline. He's going to be reporting everybody. That's rough, man. That's a tough summer. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I think you can empathize with Chris Paul's situation as president of the MBPA, and then also uh, recognize him as someone who will point to Scott Foster when Jordan Bell enters a game with an untucked jersey and want a technical foul to give his team the slightest marginal advantage. <laughs> That's just kind of who he is. So you're not he, letting he, him off the hook. No, I, I and I love Chris Paul. I love him a lot. Uh, one of my favorite players, but it's just it's undeniable, as you said. The reputation is deserved. It's warranted, and I think he owns it honestly. And I think he wears it like a badge of honor. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, did anybody on your list uh, fall into that category I was describing where like teammates might report their own teammates? Like, is there any superstar duo or like fractured teammate relationship where you could see like, okay, this team, we've got a circle and kind of, you know, wonder whether like the way they split, you know, or the way the pressure gets to them down here um, in the bubble is that like one guy just has enough of his teammate and it's like, all right, here's how we're going to end this thing. We're going to get swept because one of our guys is just going to be stuck because he violated the informant line. Kind of along those lines, although I I do have some for that, but I want to get first get to players who are free agents, upcoming free agents, oh. who, ha- who have teammates who are kind of in front of them on the depth oh, chart. That's genius. So you're the you're the seventh man, but you need that starting spot to get a new deal, so you're going to rat out exactly. the guy in front of you? Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, give me some of those. Well, I mean, yeah, this is a real thing. If you t- talk to some NBA players or whatever, like not everyone, it would be nice if everyone was constantly cheering and rooting on teammates who are on the court, but we know that some players actually are like, gleeful when a a certain teammate misses a big shot or makes a mistake and they're silently punching their fist on the bench knowing that it's good for their own career and that's uh, that's understandable go go back to the last dance right remember what jordan said when he showed up as a rookie and there was all those vets around him and he didn't feel like they were doing things the right way and he basically said he went to practice and just tried to let everybody know quietly that that was his team now he just wanted to punk all of his teammates in practice every single day um (laughs) and you know basically within two weeks his teammates were like yeah that was michael jordan's team like he was ridiculous right out of the gate um i think that a lot of people have that type of mentality they want to go and you know establish their own role within a team but most players basically every player ever doesn't have his talent and able to do that so that does lead to some natural tensions within a team environment where you've got people who want more who understand that the the contract is going to come from minutes from touches from shots um, from the ability to deliver in certain moments and if there's somebody standing in their way you know those kinds of position battles uh, you know are are frequent yeah, so a couple that I have listed here. Uh, one is the Utah Jazz, where if Mike Conley comes back and he just still doesn't look right and he's bricking these floaters and just not navigating the court as he was accust- we're accustomed to seeing when he was with the Memphis Grizzlies, I could just see Jordan Clarkson being like, you know what, I need these minutes. I need these touches. I Uh-oh. need these shots. I, I got to place a phone call here. Wow. Well, Mike Conley's not going to be violating any rules. He's like one of the nicest guys. He's, Clarkson's going to have to get like a private eye, you know, maybe like Perry Mason. <laughs> He's going to have to hire Perry Mason to do some digging or something. Um, all right. Who else you got? I like that suggestion, but that's going to be a tough target. You know, if you're trying to take down Mike Conley, it's going to be incredibly a difficult. Job. <laughs> yeah. He'll probably backfire and, and hurt his own ability to play basketball at a high level. But Um, Real quick, I did hear mm -hmm. from another media member whose outlet was trying to put up cameras around the campus just to capture basically B-roll and time lapse um, for one of their broadcasts. I don't believe it was for a television broadcast, but I I could be mistaken there. That part's a little bit fuzzy. But I understand that Disney security, from what's been told to me, like found out about these plans and basically requested that those cameras be taken down. So... There is a level of like spy counter spy aspect going on here where it's like <laughs> Disney's like, look, if there's going to be any cameras on this campus, they're going to be our cameras, you know? So um, the privacy issue, I think, is 
is a very sensitive subject to these players. Um, that's part of the reason why you know the media is being separated from them. They don't want us snooping around their hotel rooms and, and doing God knows what, and they don't want us all in their face constantly. Um, but also, I think that they realize being on this kind of a campus, like they're not free to do the normal things that they would want to do, um, whether it's after games or you know blowing off steam or whatever else. And so I think that. Uh, you know, that's just one example. And, and again, this is secondhand told to me. So I, I, I wasn't there when cameras were being ripped off a light pole or whatever. Um, but, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, there, there's uh, major steps being taken to sort of, you know, keep the players feeling comfortable and they're not being looked at on a regular basis uh, is important here. So just FYI to Jordan Clarkson, if you were hiring people to put up cameras, trying to get some more minutes, just reconsider that because they're probably coming down. Or if you were Jordan, you could just be like, hey, you know, Mike, I would, I, th- I think we should go get a burger or we should, you know, masks are lame. And then you can break the rule yourself, but then make the call on Conley. That's something that would be very devious. And wow. uh, yeah, this is just where my head's going with this exercise. Michael, the more I'm hearing out of you, the more I think maybe you should be number one on this list because you've thought of an awful lot of ways of informing on people. Um, You've clearly devoted a lot of time to this. Let me ask you, if you were down here, would you be the cops? Is that that where you're going with this? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. If I were self-identifying as the police, I would not uh, admit it on this podcast, but for the record, no, I would not be that guy. That would definitely not be me. So even if I were a free agent in a situation where I was just boiling beneath the surface at a teammate who just wasn't getting the job done and I feel like I could do a better job. Here's the deal. What if there's a line, right? There's obviously a line where you would call because I've thought about this too. Mm -hmm. I think my line is if one of those like party buses rolled through with like an open top and like 24 people who were just getting out of a techno party like downtown Orlando club um, and they're all just you know like doing the techno dancing and drinking and shouting and like they were headed towards the players hotel and it was clear they were like invited by some player for some amazing party I think that's the line for me, right? If I see one player with no mask, I think, okay. If I see an entire bus full of revelers heading towards uh, the player's hotel with some, you know, like somebody pays a security guard to look the other way to bring in this party, I do think at that moment I might be an informant. I think that might be my line because that's a big risk. It puts me at risk. Especially if you are not invited to that party. Like then all bets are off and I'm, I'm dropping multiple times. That's where I don't care as much. I wouldn't be going to that party regardless. <laughs> it's fine. I, I'm just fine here in my pen. But uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I think you're, you know, I think that you're trying to really play this like an undercover agent, to be honest, Michael. I think that you're trying to say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't inform. But in reality, you seem pretty excited about this idea of informing, I got to say. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Um uh, a similar one that I just want to drop before we kind of move on to the, some of the bigger fish. Uh, Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo. Like, oh, I could wow. totally see Pat Connaughton, free agent to be, very similar skill set as Dante. And Dante kind of is a little higher on the pecking order with the Milwaukee Bucks. So. If I were him, not I should rephrase, um, in a world where 
Pat Connaughton is feeling a little jealous and feeling like he might be losing out on an opportunity that he deserves, you know, maybe make a phone call, say that Dante was partaking in in Postmates. He was uh, whatever in terms of just if he would maybe doubling up on ping pong, you know, any type of rule, not throwing away the Uno deck, you know. Michael. Uh, how dare you try to break up the Milwaukee Bucks? Um, it was just all fun and games until you're trying to come at the Milwaukee Bucks' incredible culture. I can't see Pat Connaughton doing that. It's so tricky though because you know we know these guys like nice guys, good team, you know, culture guys, and then this is just a different environment. So who knows? I'm rejecting that one. There's no way, Michael. Come on, the Milwaukee Bucks are a united force around Giannis. They're not going to splinter and shatter like that. All right, you said you had some bigger stars. Yeah, and this will, I think, lead us into our next topic of discussion. But I want to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. And Amazing I, that we made it this long without <laughs> bringing these guys up. I was trying to yeah. tee you up earlier when I was like, what pairing of stars might rattle yeah, no, each other? I, I knew what you were doing. Yeah, I knew exactly what you were doing. But I knew we had to get to—I wanted to get to Jordan Clarkson and the Pat Connaughton's of the world first. Um, so— yeah, if I am, if I am, first of all, if I am Elton Brand, I'm a little concerned about my Al Horford signing. And so even though Al Horford is like one of the most highly respected individuals and players and leaders in the league, it, that was just like, it, it's a huge blemish on my responsibilities as a GM to bring him in at the cost that I did. And obviously our team performs a little better. Now, obviously I need Al Horford as insurance for Joel Embiid and I don't know what shape he's in, but if things are going along and it's just not working out and I'm looking at the data and the lineup, the lineup data is telling me that when Horford and Embiid are on the floor together, it's just a total disaster still. I might be trying to get out of that with, with, with a little bit of uh, a phone call, let's just say. So are you trying to maybe like go back channel to the NBA league office and be like, how bad does the violation have to be to, to invoke an amnesty? <laughs> like, what do we have to do to get this contract off our books? I mean, how seriously are you, are you plotting here? Yeah. I mean, that Godfather reference that you had, that you had before would be taking it a little too far, I think. But I, I, I can't even think of like what procedural mishap would have to take place for something super terrible like what is this is kind of zooming out big picture but like what would a player even need to do to actually incur a suspension do you think Oh, leave the campus, I think. Uh, unauthorized departure from campus, I think you pre- you pretty much have to because otherwise so, so, the floodgates <laughs> are just open, right? So what we need to do is engineer a kidnapping is basically what you're suggesting. Michael, I think you're going to get arrested for some of the things that you're saying <laughs> on this podcast right now. You're out of control, man. Did you have other Sixers uh, options? Yeah, the easy one is just Brett Brown. Um I'm going to use the word snitch just because it's the only word I can think of that's a verb to to describe what the behavior would be. But Brett Brown snitching on Ben Simmons and just kind of doing away with the difficulty of trying to fit him into how they want to play and uh, complimenting Joel Embiid as the centerpiece of the offense and the defense. Now, obviously, this would have to take place once you realize that your experiment was not working out and that your own job was on the line. 
So maybe if they're down in a first round series or a second round series and getting beaten really badly, like drastic times call for drastic measures. But Ben Simmons, like I could, you know, he has not been great to Brett Brown and he has not made his life super easy. So that one is something I could definitely see happening. Well, I'm wondering, are we already there with the drastic times and drastic measures? Because we did have a report last week, you know, basically Brett Brown coming out and saying position change for Ben Simmons. You know, now we're going to play more Shake Milton. You've got Joel Embiid saying, oh, Shake Milton's looking great in these practices. Now Ben Simmons is the point guard. That entire escapade prompted Brandon from L.A. to email us. Okay, let me get this straight. The Sixers have a two-time All-Star starting at point guard. He has led the Sixers to the best home record in the NBA, only losing twice. The Sixers' starting point guard is the only point guard in the league that has finished top five in assists per game in each of the last three seasons. But he's also one of the few point guards that plays both ways and should be all defensive first team this season. Why would you make such a massive change 60-plus games into the season? Well, maybe if you're a coach on the hot seat and you need to do anything to try and save your job, maybe then you'd be desperate enough to try this out. So Brandon is is not feeling this idea of the position change or how Brett Brown is trying to reorient his roster. Michael, you're you're pointing at uh, you're you're pointing out some of these issues that Philly might encounter here over the next month or so as they're getting back in the swing of games and you know realizing some of these fit questions, whether it's the Horford and the three big piece or just not having enough shooters. They're trying to come up with creative solutions to those problems. What did you make of this thing? You know, put aside all the jokes about the informants and let's imagine that, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone's available because no one is uh, stuck back in quarantine. Uh, What did you make of this entire situation? Is this a case where Brett Brown is searching because he's desperate and because he realized their previous formula just wasn't going to work? I want to start by addressing Brandon, just like the verbiage in his email. Um, It's conveniently worded like, the most recent TV ad for a congressman who was just indicted for tax fraud without any defense of the indictment for tax fraud. So when we talk about Ben Simmons and his placement of whether or not he should be uh, a point guard or a power forward, like you got to start where with the, 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 the discussion of this man does not shoot the basketball. He refuses to shoot the basketball. And the Sixers were the 86 Celtics at home. They were excellent. There are zero home games upcoming on their schedule. On the road this year with Ben Simmons on the floor, they were outscored by 7.2 points per 100 possessions. Their defense was worse than the Timberwolves. They scored less efficiently than every team except the Warriors, which weren't really a team. So I, I understand, you know, trying to position this team as this juggernaut and uh, everything was kind of coalescing at some point or another with Simmons at the point guard and, and Embiid at center. But it, that's just like not the reality here. And Simmons is really good in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, you have to shake it up, I, I think, because you're not winning a championship with how they were constructed. You're not winning a championship with Al Horford, Embiid, and Simmons on the floor at the same time. Uh, you don't have any pick-and-roll ball handlers. You need to figure out a way to... Uh, utilize Joel Embiid in more ways to get make him an efficient offensive option because post-ups where he can just be double teamed immediately are just not going to cut it in four straight playoff rounds. So I, I don't think necessarily that this is going to work because again, I just don't think there are any possible answers, but Bed- Brett Brown needs to do different things. He needs to try different things out and this is an option. 
Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts here. I mean, first of all, I do think it's basically an admission that the previous way wasn't going to be good enough, right? I mean, you don't make this radical of a change involving a franchise-level player if um, you absolutely don't have to. So I, I think that's a major red flag warning sign. You know, I know Simmons is kind of saying all the right things, quote unquote. I mean, show me any top overall pick who wants to have the ball in his hands and is, you know, trying to average triple doubles and trying to, you know, date the Kardashians and all that kind of stuff who wants to play power forward off the ball. That's just not going to happen, especially if you're moving him off the ball for a guy like Shake Milton, who doesn't have an NBA pedigree. Now, if they had traded for a player like Jimmy Butler, they, like they did last year, or if they go out there and swing some deal for like a lead all-star playmaker, okay, maybe you can try to sell me on this idea that Simmons is going to be cool with a smaller, you know, more complimentary offensive role. With Shake Milton as the guy, no, come on. That just does not pass the smell test. I don't see it uh, as a long-term solution. It's completely not viable. And I think that's why it's the, the most obvious giveaway here. This isn't something you do as a coach if you're confident you're going to be here three or four years from now, because ultimately you in that situation, you would need to answer to Embiid and Simmons and nobody else. And in this situation, you're not even able to answer to Simmons um, and, and do what makes him comfortable and, and happy and puts him in the best position for success because uh, you know the, the situation's so dire. So to me, massive red flags. I am kind of happy this happened because I do think it will expedite a trade. <laughs> I think that it'll be Simmons or Embiid after this fails uh, because you know you can't really come back to Simmons after doing this and be like, hey man, sorry, we kind of screwed up there. We didn't realize uh, we put you at power forward. Our bad. We're going to give you the ball again next year. Like It, it just you know puts them in an awkward situation. And um, I do think it just you know puts Simmons in a spot mentally where he can start to imagine greener pastures. Do I want to play with Embiid and Horford for the next three years? Or do I just want my own team where I can play super fast, have the ball in my hands, get all my numbers and do my thing. And the team's built around me. Um, you know, at, at this point, if it doesn't work in these playoffs, that second option is going to sound so good. And it's very realistic for a player with Skimmons, uh, Simmons's skills to want those kinds of things. So um, I do think it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise for the league. I just think those guys, the, the whole league would be better off if those guys were on separate teams with you know their respective organizations able to build uh, around their skills and identities rather than trying to force this thing together. And usually I'm not a big guy of like, oh, let's split up the stars. Oh, you know, Kobe, uh, Shaq drama and all that. I've just kind of seen enough to believe that it's not going to work as well as we all hoped. So that's really where I come down. Michael, what about this hilarious hypothetical? What if Shake Milton turns into like the breakout star of the Orlando bubble? What if that like 39 point game he had in LA um, is like uh, was the first sign of things to come? And he just comes out here and steals Ben Simmons's shine. And wouldn't that be one of like the most hilarious alternate realities that we could uh, see unfold? That would be ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. But what this whole thing makes me think about, and it's someone who maybe we should have discussed a little bit more at length when we were discussing uh, X-Factors in our last episode, but, like, this really makes the Josh Richardson... Josh Richardson's skill set really, like, it, it puts a, a spotlight on it. And whether or not he can be a more than a secondary ball handler because I, I don't believe that Shake Milton is the answer. I think the ball will be in Josh Richardson and, and to 
a lesser degree Tobias Harris's hands a lot more often, trying to initiate pick and rolls, trying to collapse the defense on drives, and then kicking out to the three-point line. So I, yeah, the Shake Milton thing is just like a dream, and I wish him the best, but he's clearly not the answer. And uh, Michael, is it too hot? for me to say that I believe more in Shake Milton than Josh Richardson in that role? Is that... That is... Oh, man. Can you please elaborate? That's a, that's a very hot take. I, I just don't think Josh Richardson's that guy. Like, I think Josh Richardson's a good player, a really good player, underrated player. Um, I thought it was a really nice move. Like, if you did decide you had to lose Jimmy, get something back. I actually uh, approved of that decision-making process. Now, if you rewind all the way and say, should they have just stuck with Jimmy and Embiid and maybe traded Simmons and tried to retool it that way, I could certainly get on board there. But, uh, you know, the salvage move to get Josh Richardson was a nice play. I I don't want the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter trying to win playoff games. That's just not going to work, man. And, like, I I don't know. I'm not saying I'm like buying a Shake Milton jersey right now and having it shipped to the bubble. But I think if you're saying like whose skill set aligns with that particular role, like I just don't think Point Josh is going to work in any way. Well, I don't think that uh, Simmons at the four <laughs> work anyway, in any way either. So uh, this so is kind of... We're on board here. They don't have an answer, do they? I mean, ultimately, no. if your best answer is Shake, you're screwed. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Well, glad we wrote them off. (laughs) (laughs) Scrimmages haven't even started yet. Glad we did that. Well, this is the kind of uh, conversation, Michael, that will come back to bite us if they somehow do get things going. So the only hedge I want to have out there is is the idea that a shake breakthrough would be so so funny and like just change every story and just kind of you know upset the uh the snow globe kind of shake everything on its head um all right i think that uh, we've covered that pretty uh you know pretty thoroughly let's just close up here uh with one more question and it comes in from uzman he writes i just listened to your podcast discussing the aftermath of stephen jackson's anti-semitic comments people only care about topics that hit close to them there are horrible injustices going on all over the place The state of Israel is currently annexing massive amounts of land. There's crickets from the media. When the Hong Kong controversy hit in China, renowned activist LeBron James was basically silent. Right now, China is placing people of a religion into forced labor concentration camps. Crickets. These events have taught me two things. Everyone has biases and what can be considered problematic opinions. They will care more about issues affecting them and people who look like them. They shouldn't be expected to understand everybody else's plight. However, it has also taught me that celebrity activism only happens when it has no effect on the bottom line. It isn't genuine because if tomorrow public opinion turned on these subjects, the celebrities would turn on them as well. Apologies for the long email, but this was something I needed to get off my chest. So, Michael, I think that his point here is that, uh, you know, you can look around the globe and find things Mm -hmm. to be outraged and upset about in every corner and that ultimately both professional athletes, but also media members like ourselves wind up kind of picking and choosing and maybe not holding um, ourselves or just the general discourse to the same standard across the board. And there winds up being just kind of natural internal biases that, uh, you know, creep in and color this entire conversation. Um, I think it's an important and very interesting point that he's raising. Um, You know, I, I do feel personally that it's difficult to always to, to just be in that um, 
outrage and anger mode 24 7 365 i almost have to feel like i'm picking and choosing my own battles intentionally and Mm -hmm. that's a dangerous process because like he's mentioned the biases do come through i think that maybe he's just slightly too harsh on some of the celebrity activists i think he's right to say that they mostly care about things that personally impact them i do think that in a lot of cases there's a lot of genuine concern about causes these guys feel and they're very passionate about those things um and that, you know, like all of us, they could stand to have a, a wider lens and to, you know, detach their own personal interests from uh, maybe some of the campaigns that they're following. Um, but I do think that we're all kind of complicit. That's not uh, unique solely to celebrity activists. Did Usman email uh, get you thinking in any particular directions, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with uh, a vast majority of it, if not all the points that he made. Uh, I mean, there's obviously examples of player activism where guys historically have been willing to put everything on the line and take humongous risks that have affected their bottom line. Uh, you know, obviously Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, most recently Colin Kaepernick come to mind. But I also agree with his point that, you know, you can only ask someone to stand up for what they believe in, what they know about, and what they're aware of. So the reality is that NBA players are not Mother Teresa, and we should not expect them to be. Many do not consider themselves to be social activists, if not all of them. Uh, you know, they're, they're basketball players and black men, so, uh, you know, a majority of them. And so they are able to inspire and serve as role models for the black boys currently living in the communities where they came from. So, you know, the particular case of Black Lives Matter is obviously something that would matter to a a lot of these players and would be important to them. And so it's not really a coincidence or a surprise to see them speak out uh, on behalf of that cause. Uh, You know, I, I with regards to some of these other issues, I don't know if it's even fair to expect players to speak out and you can accurately or cynically look at that as them not wanting to uh, negatively impact their bank accounts and their financial situations. And that is, you know, honestly, like that is their right. And it's our right to hold their feet to the fire and criticize them if we believe that they should be speaking out on a particular issue. But uh, again, we, we should not really expect professional athletes to necessarily lead the way. I think we should expect them to utilize their platform to speak out about issues that they care about and that they know about. For sure. And I do think that, you know, something like the China situation brought this all into, uh, you know, the forefront because they were getting crushed politically from the left and the right uh, for, you know, their relationships, you know, basically kind of, quote unquote, kowtowing to China for not standing up for the Hong Kong protesters. And that wasn't just about the players, LeBron James, that was about the league, too. Uh, You know, this was back before COVID, where that was like one of the biggest public relations disasters the league had faced. And it still hasn't, uh, you know, totally been resolved. I think there are still some pretty, you know, deeply hurt feelings by the league's relationship with China, given some of the, uh, you know, the, the alleged atrocities that get mentioned in this email. And there's no easy solution because ultimately, like, the NBA can't turn its back on China. The the United States really can't turn its back on China. It's almost a situation where the the partnership is too big to fail, right? Like, if it blows up, everything blows up. So uh, these are all important things to keep in mind. I'm glad he emailed uh, this in to just kind of make sure to reset um, our priorities. 
And I do think that, Usman, on this show, what we're trying to do is pick and choose the topics that are direct, directly related to basketball. So we did touch on that China issue when it became an issue for the NBA. You know, we do bring up uh, the anti-Semitism issue when Stephen Jackson, sort of a, a major member of the NBA community at this point, brings it up. We do talk about, you know, things like Black Lives Matters and the protests uh, mostly through the prism of players being involved in that. Now, there are other exceptions. If it happens to touch on my life or Michael's life um, unrelated to basketball, that may come up on this show as well. And that's only natural because we're just two guys talking back and forth. But for the most part, we are trying to accurately reflect the politics uh, you know, of the, uh, you know, the NBA world and at least discuss those kinds of topics. But we're not perfect. There's no question about that. And I'm glad your email... Uh, came in to you know try to check us a little bit and, and keep our heads on as straight as possible. All right, with that, we've come to the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, what'd you think? Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. I'm doing my best to crank out the inside the bubble stuff for you guys on both those accounts so be sure to check them out my instagram story is updating constantly michael with new pictures and you know different animals i'm seeing around the campus and hopefully some practice footage later today so everybody should be hopping on board that train guys if you haven't already consider subscribing to the washington post 29 bucks for a year right now what a great deal all sorts of columns about the bubble going on right there all right michael until later this week I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.